Okay, so um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, David Woods um, gave us the background and an introduction to First and Second Thessalonians, the two letters that we're going to be looking at um, in our Sunday talks from now until, in, until June. Uh, and as you know, if you missed um, it or if you missed any of the other Sunday talks, they are all available on SoundCloud and on um, YouTube. So uh, this week we're going to be looking at Thessalonians chapter one, which is mostly an expression of thanksgiving. It's Paul sharing his appreciation for what God was doing in that church in Thessalonica. And there are four topics um, that he touches on that uh, I'd like to say something about tonight. And we're going to be thinking about, firstly, the nature and working of the gospel. Secondly, the evidence of true Christian faith. Thirdly, lifestyle, evangelism and ministry. And um, fourthly, if we have time, uh, I think Paul gives us um, something of a model for prayer that perhaps we can use in our day-to-day -day lives. So they're the four topics I'd like to say something about. But before I say anything more, let's read the passage, Thessalonians chapter one, and um, it's the whole of the chapter, um, just 10 verses. So verse one, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So, uh, like I said, four topics. Let's move on to the first one the nature and working of the gospel. If I was to ask you what the gospel is, you might come back to me with any one of a variety of good answers. It's um, how to get saved. It's God's good news to the world. It's about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And if you've remembered anything from our previous programme of talks, you might even refer to some of those doctrinal words we've been thinking about, like atonement and sanctification and redemption and, and glorification and, 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 and many more. But fundamentally, the gospel is a message. It's what the scriptures say about all of that. And for the gospel to be good news, for it to be news, it has to be broadcast. 
it has to be communicated and if if we don't pass it on there is no gospel only a way back to god that fewer and fewer people know about and that's a solemn thought isn't it the fact that the gospel could be lost that it could cease to exist simply because we didn't pass it on we need to tell others don't we about the gospel now paul explains that the gospel is broadcast in two ways firstly through the message by that i mean the actual words the teaching the instruction and secondly it's broadcast through our lifestyle and i'm going to talk about that a little bit later but with regard to the message he says in verse five that it's more than just words verse five he said the gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the holy spirit and deep conviction the gospel message has a supernatural quality to it, doesn't it? Because it's endorsed and supported by the work of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, because the words of the message are based on the word of God, as Paul writes in the next chapter. I know we'll be looking at this um, next week, but in verse 13 of the next chapter, um, Paul writes, uh, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Now, we know the supernatural quality of the Gospels mentioned elsewhere in Scripture, don't we? Um, Romans uh, chapter one, um, Paul says he's not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Uh, likewise, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So I think our first takeaway from this passage tonight is the encouragement that we can trust the gospel. We can trust in its power, in its ability to achieve whatever God wants to achieve and sharing the gospel doesn't require us to have a deep knowledge of bible doctrines or uh, the ability to argue the case for creation versus evolution or to be uh, able to deliver a great sales pitch of course there are some who can do all of that but for most of us it's just about having the confidence to share what we know and allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work with it. I think it's interesting uh, what we uh, read in chapter two, that Paul was saying that his preaching in Thessalonica was actually to be received as the word of God. Now, does that mean that we don't have all of the word of God in our Bibles? Um, because we certainly don't have all of the, the whole record of everything that Paul said in, in, um, to the Thessalonians um, when he was preaching amongst them. Or did he mean um, did did he mean that everything that he said was to be taken as the word of God? I think actually yes, uh, but we can differentiate here between the inspired word of God, which is when the Bible writers wrote down exactly what God wanted them to, and the word of God which is spoken whenever we say things which are consistent with the inspired word. That's why we often refer to what we 
uh, what we, we, we look forward to at conference ministry or any kind of teaching. We look forward to hearing the word of God. It's more than just hearing somebody reading something from the Bible. It's the whole message, isn't it? So, in other words, if you or I share the gospel with someone using our own words, words perhaps about our own experience as well, um, and what we say is consistent with the, the Bible message, we don't just make it up, we don't just tell people what they want to hear, then we are sharing the word of God, aren't we? We're sharing God's message about the gospel, and therefore we can expect the Holy Spirit to use those words accordingly. But of course, even when we use our own words, um, as I just indicated, we do need to know the basic content of the gospel. Otherwise, we can't talk consistently with it. And we can see that basic content in verses 9 and 10. We can see it in what people were saying about the Thessalonians. Let's just read verses 9 and 10 again. Uh, well, halfway through verse 9, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Wow, you know, we sometimes talk about gospel in a nutshell verses in the Bible, and those one and a half verses really give the gospel, or, you know, a huge part of it in a nutshell. What are they saying to us? They're saying, firstly, that the Thessalonians have turned to God from idols. Now, these days, um, people are more likely to believe that there is no God rather than to worship idols in the way that they did in New Testament times. But it's still the case that people responding to the gospel need to turn away from anything which is contrary to God's, God's will and God's commands. And we do need to be brave and, and, and say that if necessary. Um, and the Thessalonians didn't just do that. They also told people why they'd done it. They turned to God from idols. And the second point is that they turned from idols. It sounds like I'm saying the same thing here, but it's a, it's, a, it's a different point. From idols to serve the living and true God. You know, people who heard about the Thessalonians understood that they weren't just choosing to act like Christians. There are many who see Christianity as just a lifestyle choice. Not, not, not that many of these days, but people do. It's a framework for good works. It's a community of like-minded people. Um, in some cases, not in the churches of God, sadly, but in some cases, it's great buildings and, um, and awesome singing. Well, we have, we have some of that, don't we? Uh, or we used to before the pandemic, but you know what I mean. Um, some people just love all of that. It's a lifestyle choice. They can get, get into Christianity without necessarily having to believe in God. That's kind of, you know, the bit in the background that we don't like to get too much into. But it says in Hebrews 11 that the Christian faith is more than all of that. It is about coming to God and believing that he exists. So that's the third, that's the second point rather. Uh, third point is, um, as it says in, in verse 10, the gospel is about believing in Jesus as a son of God who died and was raised from the dead in order to save us. Save us from the penalty of sin or the reference here is the coming wrath, the coming wrath of judgment. So that's three points. And then a fourth point is, of course, the gospel is about the, the promise that Jesus will return for us. 
And uh, we get that here as well, doesn't he? They were waiting for that return. And, and Christians should live in the anticipation of that. That's what the Thessalonians were doing. So the fact that Paul says that these were the things that other people were saying about the Thessalonians suggests to me that these were the things that the Thessalonians were explaining when people asked them about their lifestyle. They were doing what it says in 1 Peter 3. You know, that verse that says that we should always be prepared to give an explanation to anyone who asks why we have the hope that we have. The nature of the gospel is a simple message. It's an explanation based on the word of God or using the, the, the precise word of God where necessary, which covers the basics that we've just been thinking about in those one and a half verses at the end of the chapter. And it works when we share it with others and the Holy Spirit uses what we say to bring people to faith. So that was our first topic, the nature and working of the gospel. The second topic I'd like to talk about is the nature and evidence of, tr of um, true Christian faith. When Paul said in verse four that he knew, that he knew that they were true Christians, it was because firstly, he knew the power of the gospel. He knew that the gospel has the power to change lives as we've been thinking. And secondly, it was because it was clear in what they were doing their lifestyle, that their faith was real. He talks about three qualities uh, that could be seen clearly in their lives. Three qualities which really are the hallmarks of any true believer. He talks about faith, hope, and love. Verse three, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say about these qualities then in those verses? Firstly, faith. You know, it says in Hebrews 11 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What Paul refers to in verse three, the, these works produced by faith, they were part of the evidence that the faith of the Thessalonians was genuine. And we should be able to say the same about ourselves, shouldn't we, in our own lifestyle and, and activities. That word uh, substance in Hebrews 11 um, really means reality. Faith is believing in the reality of the gospel, the reality of our relationship with God, the reality of everything he's promised. And what people could see in the lifestyle of the Thessalonians was that their faith and therefore their message was the real deal. It was, it, it was true. It was, it was genuine. It was the real thing. So faith. And then we thought about love. Uh, I don't need to tell you how important love is. Jesus said that love for God and loving our neighbor are the two most important commandments. Everything else is secondary. Um, but what does that love look like? I guess we can describe it in lots of ways from scripture, can't we? First Corinthians 13, for example, refers to patience, kindness, humility, faithfulness. 
But sometimes it's easier than others to show those qualities, isn't it? Like it's easier to be faithful, to, to stick at things we actually enjoy. And it's uh, easier to be patient with people we're close to. And it's easier to be kind to people who are grateful. But sometimes we have to engage with people who are difficult in all sorts of ways. And in verse three, Paul refers to their labor prompted by love. And the word translated as labor there is, is um, different from the word that's translated as work that we've just thought about, the work produced by faith. Because the word for labor means hard work. And that's when Christian love is shown more clearly, isn't it? Love for God and love towards other people. When we still do the things that God wants us to do, and we still do the good works for other people, even when it's not so enjoyable, when we seem to get nothing back in return. So faith, love, and the third one, in, uh, hope, endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus. Endurance, as we know, um, means that we keep going with things, don't we? Um, we keep going with the works and the labor, even when it gets tough even when we get tired, even when we've had enough. Even if we experience like the Thessalonians did, which um, Paul refers to in verse six, severe suffering. And we're more likely to stay true in the long term. We're more likely to endure difficulties if we have a perspective on our lives, which is driven by hope the hope that comes from all that we have and all that we're promised because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Those three qualities, faith, hope, and love, you know, those three hallmarks of the Christian are often referred to in scripture together. I think they are really an important thing that is just so fundamental to our, our Christianity. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Colossians 1 said, talks about the faith and love that spring from the hope that's stored up for you in heaven. And uh, later on in, in um, Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians, when we get to chapter 5, we'll talk about the armour of God. And it says, let us put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So these are qualities which should translate into action, shouldn't they? Faith, love and hope. And if we add to them the joy that Paul mentions in verse six, that inner contentment and happiness, which is given to us by the Holy Spirit and is um, independent of our circumstances, something that we can have even when everything else is falling apart and um, we're, we're struggling. Um, in all of that, we should be able to see the evidence of the reality of our faith. And that brings me to my third topic, um, lifestyle evangelism and ministry. When Paul said in verse four that he knew that God had chosen them, it was because, um, like I've been saying, firstly, he, he trusted in the power of the gospel, so he wasn't surprised at what he'd been hearing. And secondly, what he'd been hearing was about the things that the Thessalonians had been doing their lifestyle, which showed that their, their faith was real. Now, you might be thinking, isn't that what we've just been talking about? Um, and it is. 
But what I'm just adding to it now is the idea that our lifestyle is actually vital to our ministry and evangelism. In other words, if the gospel is important, then actually our lifestyle isn't just about proving whether our own individual faith is, is, is real. Um, it's actually matters for the bigger thing, the furtherance of the gospel. And we can see that in verse five, that it was part of Paul's own evangelism to the, to the Thessalonians. See how he reminds them of how he had lived among them. And now people everywhere were talking about how the Thessalonians were living. Verse eight, it said, he said, the Lord's message rang out from you. Um, your faith in God has become known everywhere. The point is how you and I live will either confirm or contradict what we say we believe in. And the reason I've talked about the evidence of, um, of true faith is not so we can look at each other, like I was saying a moment ago, and judge who's a true Christian or not. It's not so we can um, make that kind of assessment. It's, it's so that we can look at ourselves and consider if we're really living in a way which is consistent with the gospel. And, and that's important because we don't need a following on YouTube or um, other media to be an influencer in the world. There's a kind of popular word that's used these days, isn't it? People who are influencers. Well, we're all influencers for good or bad within the church and in the wider world. Now, I've called this topic lifestyle evangelism and ministry, which is a bit of an artificial distinction. But I'm thinking here, as, as I've just said, about um, evangelism as how we reach the unsaved in the wider world. And I'm thinking of ministry as how we influence one another within the church. In other words, gospel outreach and inreach, as it's sometimes called. The work of the gospel isn't just about attracting new believers. It's about retaining believers within the church. And I don't think we've done a very good job of that over the years. You've only got to start thinking about how many people used to be in the church and haven't just moved to another church. In verses seven to eight, it says that they had become model Christians to believers everywhere. And even Paul was being encouraged by them. So even if we don't have much opportunity to share the gospel with non-believers, we shouldn't underestimate the value of the difference that we can all make within the church, encouraging one another. But like I said, our influence can be for bad, not just for good, just as we can encourage, inspire, or be a good example to one another. So we can also discourage and stumble or be a bad example if we're not living out our faith in the way the Lord Jesus intended. So as it says in uh, Ephesians 5, in the middle of a passage, which is all about our lifestyle, we need to be very careful how we live. Just one thing I'd like to emphasize here, though. Uh, lifestyle's not enough on its own. Um, there is a saying, I'm sure you've all heard it before, that we should preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. And it's kind of the point I've been making, but we need to be clear <laughs> that it is necessary to use words. When Paul said in verse eight that the Lord's message was ringing out from them everywhere, he wasn't just referring to their lifestyle. 
he was talking about a message of words which was supported by their lifestyle. Now, I said that if there was time, we'd, do, we'd, do on a, we'd touch on a, a fourth topic, and I'm looking at the time, and, and there isn't time, so I'm going to um, not talk about um, Paul's model for prayer. You can have a little look in there and see if you can um, see something in there. Uh, I'm just going to summarise the three points that I've made. So three topics that we thought about. Firstly, the nature and working of the gospel, a message which is communicated by words, but it is supported by our lifestyle and it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's why it works. Uh, secondly, linked to that, we thought about the evidence of true Christian faith, the things which show that our faith and therefore our message is for real. In particular, we thought about three vital qualities that, be, that um, should be seen in, in all our lives, faith, hope and love. And thirdly, we thought about lifestyle evangelism and ministry. It's the way that we influence people in the wider world and in the church community by the way we live. In both areas, we can be influencers for good or bad. Uh, let's pray that God will help us to be, to be the first of those two influencers for good. I'll finish with that, David.